Welcome to Podcast at Boatwright. I am Lucretia McCulley, Head of Scholarly Communications at Boatwright Library. Our faculty interview is with Dr. Monica Siebert, Professor of English. She is the author of a new book, Indians Playing Indian, Multiculturalism and Contemporary Indigenous Art in North America, published recently by the University of Alabama Press. Indians Playing Indian explores the phenomenon of multicultural misrecognition of American Indians, explaining its sources in North American colonial history and in the political mandates of multiculturalism, and describes its consequences for contemporary indigenous cultural production. Monica, thank you for joining us today. Thank you for inviting me, Lucretia. And to start off our conversation, what inspired you to write on this particular topic? Actually, it was a visit to a cinema. Uh, really? <laughs> there is an exact point of origin. It must have been the year 2002 or three. I was a new professor, new assistant professor at Syracuse University, and I was in New York City to attend the New York Film Festival, and especially to, especially to see a film, uh, an important film, advertised as the first film produced, directed, and acted by indigenous uh, actors and directors, and performed in the indigenous language, in the inoctated language of the Canadian Inuit. Um, the film was um, recognized with many uh, awards. It received a Camerador at the Cannes Festival in 2001. It also that year was uh, acclaimed as the best Canadian film. And the film itself was an enigma to me from the very beginning. By then, I was already reading in and studying uh, contemporary American Indian art for a couple of years. I was interested in it um, during my graduate uh, school years because it was different uh, than anything else I have read in contemporary American literature. And it very emphatically didn't fit the model of didn't fit our conception of American culture uh, as a collection of many different cultures, of the United States as a nation of nations, uh, as a nation of uh, a multicultural democracy. It seemed to me that Indian writers and filmmakers were insisting, no, no, we are not like other uh, ethnic minorities. We are different. We have a special history on this continent. So contrarian that I am, I was interested, I'm always interested in things that resist, that don't make sense, that don't fit. So when this film, its title was Atanar Jawat, and it was produced by the uh, Isuma uh, production, which was a uh, Inuit uh, production company based in Iglolek in the uh, Baffin region in Canada, in, uh, in northern Canada. And uh, it was critically acclaimed, sort of uh, a big event. Um, so, of course, I, I had to go and see it. And it was a long film. And the first thing that perplexed me about it is that at that time, indigenous intellectuals, writers, artists were complaining that whenever Indians are or Indians, uh, history, culture, Indians as people are subject of literature or art written by um, um, writers from the settler um, uh, society, 
these stories are always about past history, about history, about distant past. And uh, these indigenous intellectuals are arguing that the effect of that focus on the past is that everybody forgets that Indians are still here, that they live among us uh, in small but important numbers. Uh, and then they have ongoing histories all the way into the present. So to sort of balance things out, a lot of contemporary artists were focusing on the stories of the present, of the contemporary realities of uh, American Indian people. Atanarjuat, however, is a film that is set completely radically in the pre-contact past. It's a kind of an epic, an old ancient story. There are no signs anywhere. You know, they were careful enough even to make sure there were no lines, vapor lines from, from the uh, airplanes passing by anywhere on the, on the horizon. So here is an such an opportunity for indigenous filmmakers to be visible, and yet they make a historical film. They forgo the opportunity to create a visible film about the contemporary realities, precisely the kind of stories that everybody else within the indigenous intellectual community is clamoring for. So I thought, huh, why would that be? And I was wondering if perhaps that focus has something to do with the popularity of the film and if it's claiming by Canada as a Canadian film. And to make things even more complicated, um, once I watched the film again for the second time, I noticed that when the, the credits that are rolling at the very end are interspersed with the outtakes from the production and filming of the film. So whatever illusion of this pre-contact, indigenous, uh, independent, complete world is created in the film itself, in the narrative uh, of the film itself, it's destroyed through the addition of the outtakes that show the same uh, actors that a minute ago were dressed in walrus uh, um, skin clothing and moved again, you know, along wide vistas of just frozen snow and nothing else, no Western tools, right? Suddenly appear wearing uh, headphones and uh, CD, portable CD players and leather jackets and driving in cars. And so the whole um, illusion is, is uh, taken away and we peek behind the curtain to see how this illusion was uh, produced. So that to me seems another contradictory thing. So I set out to understand what's going on. Why such a complicated rhetorical gesture, creating an illusion of something from the past and then taking it away and insisting on the contemporary engagement of Inuit people in uh, making films about their own, uh, their own history. And that took me to studying multiculturalism, which has become sort of this um, primary model to think about cultural and social and political relations in North America, and that, by that mean I, by that I mean Canada and the United States, and, and also looking at other examples of contemporary indigenous art to see if I see anything comparable. And, you know, when you look for something, you find it. So I, so I did. And ultimately, I 
suggested, offered as an idea that contemporary American Indian artists confront a, a special predicament that is unique uh, just to them. That on one hand, they benefit from multiculturalism as a new model of thinking about social relations on this continent, but they also suffer because that model treats them as yet another ethnic minority and focuses exclusively on the cultural production, express various expressions of their culture. By doing so, it obscures the fundamental difference, the fact that unlike um, Asian Americans or African Americans or Latinos, they are not just cultural minorities. They are not minority ethnic groups. They are actually, by American federal law, citizens of their own sovereign nations. Right? So, so the dilemma is that the culture obscures the political focus on cultural difference obscures the political histories and therefore you know it's useful ideologically to the united states and canada because it also obscures the colonial histories of these uh, of these countries so it was really fascinating then to see how contemporary artists recognize this dilemma and try to negotiate it in their arts by evoking some of the cultural stereotypes to get us interested but then forcing us to abandon them and to learn to think about indigeneity in different new ways, in ways that will account for this more complicated, uh, complicated history. Well, thank you very much. That's fascinating. And it's uh, interesting. This has been going on for several years for you. Yes, this was a long project. Yes. Yep. Thank you for sharing. Well, how can the University of Richmond community use this book to think about Indians here in Virginia? Okay. So we actually, in terms of indigenous matters in Virginia, we are at a very exciting and interesting uh, moment, a threshold almost, because just this past year, the first of Virginia Indians tribes, and they call themselves here tribes, um, with the exception of one uh, Monacan nation, uh, has been recognized federally. So all of the Virginia Indian tribes are recognized by the state, but that's just a symbolic recognition. It doesn't, uh, it doesn't bring any kind of material benefits that come with what is called federal recognition. And that simply means that the US government recognizes a particular Indian nation as a sovereign nation. And usually, and this is so, this lack of federal recognition uh, in Virginia, because of historical circumstances. To be federally recognized, an Indian nation had to sign a historic treaty with the United States. That, of course, was not possible until after 1776. By that time, indigenous nations in Virginia have been dispersed, displaced, and had no political power, no political clout to negotiate anything with um, uh, with the federal government. In other words, federal government wouldn't bother to negotiate. They didn't need anything out of them, uh, from them. And that's kind of a historical paradox because it's the Virginia Indians that actually interacted with the first uh, British settlers who have arrived uh, in the lands in 1607. So, um, Virginia Indians, the allies have been advocating for such recognition for many years, and, and this can happen through a variety of processes. So um, the federal recognition of the Pamunkey uh, tribe in Virginia is the first step. It's one of the first. So the book's introduction, 
which uh, offers, I hope, hope uh, helpful yet still brief history of how we uh, come to think about American Indians as cultural minorities the way we think about them. And that history also includes an account of uh, what has happened historically, how we have, how we have moved from thinking about uh, Indians as uh, Indian nations as sovereign nations and thinking about them in terms of political identities to cultural identities. So it will give some broader context to this long history that it informs what's uh, happening um, in Virginia right now. And even though this book actually does not um, deal with any American Indian art artists coming from Virginia, some of the historical, you know, the obvious historical figures of uh, Virginia history, like Pocahontas or John Smith, recur in the contemporary art uh, of um, American Indian artists from all over the United States. So what we get is this specifically indigenous perspective on Virginia colonial history um, in, in these um, uh, uh, in these different chapters that discuss different works of art. What you also get is a long chapter on the National Museum of the American Indian in Washington, D.C. And I know that our students travel there sometimes. I take them right. <laughs> to see a museum. So there is an, uh, an extensive account of that. I, of course, think, like any author, that students would read my book cover to cover because it's about challenging difficult art and what could be more fun. But more practically, I think, um, whether you are um, studying or doing um, art, producing art yourself, whether you are a novelist or a photographer or a sculptor, um, or even interested in museum curating, you will find a chapter that delves into this particular genre and emphasizes, at least that was my fervent intention, that art is important, that art has a public, I would even say political role to play, that through art you can engage in a broader public conversation about issues that are important to contemporary politics, to some of the burning issues that animate such contemporary public conversations. And, you know, being uh, somebody who studies um, American uh, Indian uh, art, history, and culture, I, of course, think that we all, as Americans, should know more about it. Uh, and I, at some point, made a kind of a professional decision that if I want to be an Americanist, and a serious one, and even though I'm interested in contemporary literature and art, one needs to go back to the beginnings and start with indigenous people here at the time of contact or conquest, because they have played such an incredible role in how Americans who came initially from Europe and then increasingly over centuries from other places in the world have defined themselves as Americans. They always have been defining themselves as Americans against and with uh, uh, indigenous peoples already here. Well, thank you. Well, I think your book is very interdisciplinary. It can reach yes. so many different people yes. on different um, levels. 
yeah, each chapter a different medium, and it was an interesting struggle for myself too, somebody who has uh, training primarily in literary studies to delve into photography, into plastic arts, to think about museum exhibition as a form of artistic expression. It was very interesting. I hope it can be contagious. Well, did uh, any of your students assist you with the research and preparation of this book? Yes, and in fact, in variety of ways. So as you can tell from my acknowledgements, I have had incredibly helpful assistance from a student here, a graduate student here, Ashley Greenwade, who has taken a class with me for graduate credit and then signed up to work as my research assistant. So she's done just kind of incredible work in searching out and marshalling obscure materials. Uh, this was, you know, to a um, uh, professor, new professor who's still learning to put her teaching repertoire together and continuing a, a research program that was very, very wonderful to have somebody uh, to help out. I've taught several classes on the subject and because so much of the book has to deal, has to do with perception, how American Indian art, how American Indian images, how American Indian stories are received by um, general public. The classroom naturally became a kind of laboratory where we could test a lot of these things. And my students every time have uh, really risen to the occasion and pushed me on ideas, allowed me to push them, allowed me to really put a lot of pressure on the received ideas about the place of American Indians in, uh, in the history of the, of the continent. So that ongoing conversation with students, uh, day in, day out in the classroom was very, uh, very helpful. I'm also grateful to students who have uh, sometimes reluctantly and still sleepy went on on field trips for some of my classes whether these field trips were to the Jamestown settlement, the theme park that we have in Williamsburg, or to some of the local uh, Indian reservations that we have uh, in the States. And, um, you know, you never know if students are, how engaged students are. It's only in the, in, in the uh, hindsight when you get, like I did yesterday, emails from students who have traveled to the Pamukya reservations with me writing to me excitedly, did you see that? They did get the federal recognition. I can't believe I was there on the land and, and thinking about how they tell their stories in comparison, for example, to the stories told about them at the Jamestown settlement. So seeing students engaged in that process of comparing um, these narratives of, uh, of our origins, of our Americanness, of our Indianness, um, was in itself very instructive and wonderful, wonderful material. We can't really, as scholars, do our work well without, without students. Right. It's important to bring them into the scholarly conversation and to help them grow and see those other perspectives. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, you commented on this a little bit earlier, but um, how would you envision undergraduate students using the book for their study and research, not only here, but at other right. universities right. and colleges? Right. So um, the work that I want to do with the book, or kind of the material that I wanted to make um, available, um, I, I 
tend to think about it as elaboration of the work that has already been done. So of course there's a lot of a lot of scholarly uh, studies, a lot of popular books about how the images of American Indians, the objects of their uh, popular uh, material culture have been appropriated or misappropriated by um, uh, by the settler culture, you know, all the stereotypes. Uh, here, the uh, you know, locally, the entire controversy over the name of the Washington uh, football team, right, that is still, still uh, raging. Um, so what I wanted to contribute is not so much another critique of uh, how Indian stories, lives, and images and objects, objects get appropriated and exploited, but how specifically American Indian writers negotiate this, this moment uh, um, historically that we have, a moment in which we could say that American Indians are probably one of the more visible uh, um, cultures or groups or nations in the United States. We see images everywhere, you know, from, uh, you know, from um, names being used, you know, from Cherokee cars to football teams to sports mascots to images used for advertising and so on. And yet at the same time, we know the least about them. So the book wants to do two things, right? Offer the context for the present situation, and I think it would be useful to anybody, uh, uh, people in the street, not just students, to know this context, but then really zero in on the incredible work that the contemporary artists uh, do to shift these perceptions, to enter the conversations about the meanings of contemporary indigeneity via their art and shift them to engage members of the settler society. So the majority of the books, the, chap the five chapters are showcasing these kinds of attempts. So as I, as I said earlier, whether you are interested in art or an artist yourself, there is quite a selection of genre to um, uh, to choose from, uh, and and you can I, I try to make a case how what important cultural projects these artworks are, uh, how they participate in the burning conversations of the contemporary time, and since we all live in the contemporary, it pertains to to all of us. Thank you. And our last question, how did library services support you in writing this book? So on one, thing, on one hand, you would think if you work on the contemporary materials, all you need to do is pick up the latest you know, publication from the shelf or stop by the latest exhibition in the art gallery. And that's true. That's what you do. But the, also, when you work on a literary or artistic tradition that has been marginalized for a long time, or that has been used selectively, right? The, the works that help us deliver the story of contemporary multicultural United States are widely distributed. And, you know, we can all think of a couple of popular American Indian writers just off the, off the bat without any problem. But some of the more challenging or complicated stories or artworks by indigenous writers uh, and artists are not that easily available. So it takes a lot of 
ferreting out. So the assistance here of Marcia Whitehead, who is my liaison, uh, who is the liaison librarian for humanities, uh, was invaluable. I could um, call up Marcia and say, Marcia, I really need to find this really obscure thing, and she would find it. Um, librarians working at the interlibrary loan have, have services have been incredible uh, and probably very irritated with me just by the <laughs> volume of things. But also, I think what uh, surprised me in a very uh, positive way is that sometimes um, I would meet somebody working in the library and we would have a 30-second conversation. And from that conversation on, uh, I would get, especially I want to uh, call out Janine Kiefer here, right. yes. who has, without being asked, um, always, as soon as she came across a material, some material or a digital archive that could be relevant to my research, she made sure it showed up in my inbox and was available. So you get the sense that librarians here watch over you and are able to assist even without an explicit request, right? <laughs> they know what you're after, what uh, subjects you're working in, what might be of interest to you, and, and they deliver. And that's an incredible service that I have not encountered uh, at, at larger institutions. That's a, that is a, that's a particular, uh, particular, uh, particularly valuable resource here. And I also want to thank here Melissa Foster and her student team at the Technology Writing Center uh, for incredibly patient assistance against the deadlines when it came to uh, preparing illustrations from the book. So mm -hmm. taking some, you know, again, often obscure uh, reproductions of, uh, of artwork, not easily available, struggle for copyrights, and, uh, and then kind of wrench them into um, shape presentable enough to then appear as an illustration in the published book. So that was wonderful, especially to people like me who, who just are not technologically, technologically particularly talented or not talented at all. That kind of assistance with technology was invaluable as well. So. Thank you very much. I'm glad you took advantage of all our services. Thank you for having me. <laughs> so thank you, Dr. Siebert, for your conversation. Indians Playing Indian, Multiculturalism and Contemporary Indigenous Art in North America is available in Boatwright Library and the University Bookstore.